Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Edward Slavsquat, a.k.a. Riley Wagaman, an American writer and journalist based in Moscow. He contributes to Anti-Empire and Russian Faith and previously worked for Press TV, RT, and Russia Insider. His substack is currently chronicling what is happening inside COVID Russia. Dobry večer, gospodin Slavsquat, kak dela v Moskvi? Normalno, spasibo, balšaja. All right. Uh, I, I don't see I don't see the vodka bottle. Uh, 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 <laughs> I'm hiding it under the desk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so maybe first of all, maybe you can. Uh, I just discovered your your blog and and your work, and uh, I see other people in the in the independent media are, are sharing it as well. And some of my mutual uh, some of my friends in Russia also were sending me your articles and um, great, really great stuff. Like each each Substack article you put out. I can't wait to read. They're concise and they're they're witty, sarcastic, hilarious. Could you tell us, you know, who is Edward Slavsquad, aka Riley Wagaman? Um, well, I guess that sort of my writing background is really eclectic. I started writing for this at the time quite a popular left-leaning liberal DC politics blog. I was living in Washington, DC. It's called Wonket. It was part of like the Gawker Empire. Don't know if you're familiar, but anyway, I got really, really disillusioned with that whole scene, and I just ended up moving to Central Europe and living in the Czech Republic for a bit, and basically just being a total like waste of skin, doing nothing, you know, valuable, and uh, did a little bit of teaching on the side, English teaching on the side, and. Just one day, I decided I really wanted to just do something really new, and I found a job listing to move to Bashkortostan and teach English. And I didn't know where Bashkortostan was or what it was, but it just sounded like a really cool thing to do. So I moved to Bashkortostan, and I lived there for about a year and a half. And then I actually ended up starting writing again because I was so disgusted. I mean, this was right around the time of. Uh, my dawn had just happened, and there was a lot of sort of renewed tensions between the U.S. and Russia, and I was totally disgusted because, you know, obviously I understood that there was nuance to a lot of the ways that Russia was being discussed in the Western media, which really sickened me. And so I actually started writing about this, uh, just uh, and as it turns out, I actually hooked up with a lot of people. Uh, a friend who's a close friend of mine now who uh, was started this website, Russia Insider, Charles Bowsman, and he invited me to come to Moscow and work for him. And once I got to Moscow, I got a job working as a uh, correspondent for Press TV. I did t- two tours of Donbass, which was really terrifying, but quite extraordinary. Uh, I went to Odessa and was an international observer during this uh, memorial service for the Odessa massacre. Uh, and then eventually I actually ended up at RT where I worked. My position was officially senior editor, but I was basically just a writer. And I worked there for about four years and I recently left that organization. So I'm just on my own, on my Substack here in Moscow. basically. <laughs> Maybe later I had a question about the the writing and NRT. Maybe you can uh, reveal some secrets uh, later on. But um, let's get let's get on then to um, you know how do you explain COVID nineteen eighty four? You know, is it 
a natural phenomenon born of a bat in a wet market? Is it a bioweapon developed in some BSL-4 lab in Fort Detrick or Wuhan? Is it one big nothing burger which serves as a global coup d'etat against democracy and all the nations of the world, as Robert Kennedy Jr. puts it? Is it a combination of, all, of one or all three uh, or something else? You know, how are you viewing what's going on right now? I mean, this is obviously just my personal opinion on this matter. My personal view is that I do not think it is a bioweapon. I don't even think it's a particularly serious pathogen of any kind. I frankly, to me, I mean, I'm sorry if this makes people upset, but frankly, COVID-19 to me just seems like a positive PCR test. It seems like sick people who have a positive PCR test, which doesn't really mean anything, you know? And the way that the symptoms, the ever growing and, you know, list of symptoms and somehow new symptoms are added all the time and then taken away. Even in Russia, they're doing the same thing. Very bizarre. If you track the history of what COVID even is, how it's defined, is really quite remarkable. And at this point, it really seems like coronavirus is someone who is sick, who tests positive, or is not even sick, just someone who tests positive with a PCR test. And unfortunately, a lot of the deaths, this is well documented and proven, is people get sick in a hospital, they test positive, they get shipped to some, you know, special COVID ward, have a tube shoved down their throat and, you know, die of sepsis or something. And so it's just, I really think that it's a lot of it is just huge data manipulation and medical malpractice. And totally unreliable testing. And maybe there are deeper things here that, you know, I don't know enough about to really comment on, but that's just how I see it. That's my view. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Some of my guests have said the same, such as the Canadian scientist, Denny Rancourt, who I'll have back on uh, soon, I think. And CJ Hopkins talks about this. It's just manipulation using PCR tests. And it's it's hard for, I, I even had a former Soviet military physician on a few weeks ago say the same thing and so it's hard for people to fathom that um we've been duped one way or another i mean by any definition this is not a uh, pandemic and so you've recently stated that probably soon the worst place to live in the entire world will be moscow quote end quote uh, i've had people ask me about you know escaping from the prison planet to places like the balkans where i'm from Russia, which I visited in Central Asia, where, where I've lived in as well. Um, you know, I lived in Kazakhstan and I'm seeing the COVID regime there now. Uh, I would run as fast as I can from Nur Sultan. <laughs> They've already got the Nazi health passes. I mean, COVID passports um, operational for shops. You can't get in without a QR code, which confirms your biological uh, purity. Uh, and you can't get a job there. The government actually made a law. You can't get a job without being jabbed. I think any employer with like 20 or more employees um, can't hire anyone that hasn't been uh, injected. Some parts of the Balkans remain free uh, and others like my other homeland, well, Croatia, they're pushing this agenda forcefully. Uh, a lot of Croatians are pushing back, but I just got a message this morning from an expat in Croatia who tells me, you won't be able to enter into Croatian government offices to do any services without the Achten pass. So if you need like a passport or a digital uh, uh, identification or driver's license or whatever, I don't know how, how that's going to happen. You're going to become a non-person. So some listeners are, have asked my opinion of escaping to Russia. I, I'm guessing you can go to rural Russia, maybe Siberia. You might be okay. Um, so, you know, you've been detailing on your Substack how bad in reality the COVID regime is going, on, going in Russia. Uh, what would you say to people wondering about escaping to Russia? So 
Um, it's important to differentiate between like living in COVID Russia among Russians and living in COVID Russia with like the Russian your throat because they're two totally different things. What I mean by this is that the general mood towards coronavirus and coronavirus restrictions in Russia, I mean, people are so over it. And, you know, people will have different theories about what it is and how dangerous it is, but everyone is over it. So, for example, you go to a shop. I live in the suburbs of Moscow. Theoretically, everyone is supposed to be wearing a mask. Everyone, they have the tape, you know, the tape, the separation tape on the ground to make sure you're keeping your meter and a half of distance or whatever. Nobody does any of this stuff. And they don't even, you know, in the shops, they don't even ask the cashiers if they're wearing a mask at all. They've got the chin strap going on, you know, the mask chin strap. It's everybody is over it. So that's the Russian attitude, which is we just want to get on with our lives. We're tired of this. And then you have the Russian government, which is very aggressively shoving all the same soul raping measures that you see in the West down everyone's throat. It's exactly the same, uh, you know, agenda. You have right now in Russian parliament, it was sent back to the regions for review, but they want to institute a national digital health pass, QR code-based health pass for basically all aspects of life. And in fact, actually most, in fact, I'm pretty sure basically all regions at this point of Moscow, or sorry, Russia, like all 85 federal subjects have some sort of QR code that, okay, in some places you might not need it for that many things, you know, go to a museum. Other places, they will deny you routine medical care if you don't have a QR code. That's already in place in some parts of Russia. So I agree with you. You know, I'm sure that there will be parts of Russia where even if it gets really bad, there's just parts of Russia that I think are ungovernable, basically, <laughs> because of the way Russia is. It's like the United States in that way, you know. But if you want to live in a city and be part of civilization, I don't know if Russia is really a great alternative to, especially if you're, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend someone moving to Russia unless the, thing, the situation is so bad in your home country that you're willing to take the gamble because it's a total crapshoot at this point. It could work out in the end. It really could. And I could be, you know, who knows, who knows what the situation will be in, in four months from now, but it could also be really, really, really bad. So people should recognize that it's not it's not so clear cut here. In fact, the reality is that things are getting worse, like really a lot worse, almost weekly at this point. Um, when I spoke about, you know, in that piece that you cited about Moscow becoming one of the worst places to live in the world, uh, it's quite extraordinary. And this is another thing that I think people don't realize is that uh, the Russian government, or at least a lot of elements of the Russian government, are totally on board with all of this World Economic Forum, Fourth Industrial Revolution, transhumanist, snake oil, bizarro world though stuff that we hear about all the time, but no one seems to make the connection to Russia, and Russia is totally on board with this. So there's an incredible document that's public information. You can go to the mayor of Moscow's website, and there's a whole webpage. It's called Moscow 2030. So just like, you know, Agenda 2030, UN Agenda, what a coincidence. And it just, it's an incredible document. And they just put it, it's just there. And they talk about how by 2030, they want everyone to have a, a genetic passport that can be used to administer gene therapies and how people will be wearing uh, 
implantable monitoring devices so that insurance companies can calculate health insurance payments. Which sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, if you don't believe me, just go look it up. It's all there. I'm gonna I'm gonna find that document and include it in the, uh, yeah, the, yeah. the description. But um, this has been a, a question that I'm that's boggling my mind because we, we're giving the, we have these two perspectives where it's the you know Western oligarchy of Great Reset of Europe and U.S. right Schwab and all these people versus yeah. versus the East Russia and China who are like sovereign and they're forming their own group right the the dragon yeah. bear the eurasian coming together um and some of my guests have have both perspectives and i'm inclined kind of to what you're saying just looking at the data forgetting you know some people want to believe that you know russia is going to liberate us or or china um but i'm just looking at it with the cold facts like you are and it's just like no they're they're knee deep russia as you just pointed out and this is stuff so then how how is Russia or China going to be any anything different? It seems like all nations are part of this this um, great reset. I mean, what are your thoughts there? So I'm I'm familiar with people who have the view that, for example, a common argument you might hear is, okay, Russia is on board with this great reset Schwabian fourth industrial revolution, but it's for pragmatic and strategic purposes, right? It's because the West is doing it, so Russia has to do it. Otherwise, it'll be left behind in this transhumanist, you know, ge- genetic arms race. But you know, you could use the same. It's it's the same logic can be used when you're talking about the West. You could say, well, maybe Russia and China are the ones that are pushing this crazy stuff. And in fact, China is way ahead of everyone else. That's just an objective truth. And the reality is, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, there are parts of the United States which are far more free than any part of Russia right now. Florida being the obvious example here where they banned vaccine mandates. And I believe QR codes, I, I believe they're, it's, you can use them in some situations, but it's not very common. I've talked to people about this. The point here being, though, is that if we're talking about like a sort of very binary good versus evil narrative. How does that work in Russia and China's favor when it's clear that if we're talking about basic human rights, like the right to tra- like right to travel, the right to free movement and commerce without being stamped, that's not something that China and Russia are excelling at right now. It's much, it's much actually better in, in parts of you know the evil empire West. And that's just the truth. This is the truth that people need to wrap their head around. So what would you then, I mean, that's an interesting point, but then, so we see these two things, how everyone seems to be on board with the great reset, but then at the same time, we're seeing these apparent military conflicts now between the West and the East with, you know, Donbass, Ukraine, Belarus, the South China Sea. So, But if, if Russia and China are on the same page, then why at the same time, but then how, how would you kind of explain there being these uh, military conflicts. It seems like the West wants to, as they have for the past centuries, they want to destroy, take over Russia. So it, it seems like even if Russia is on board, it's not good enough for the Davos crowd. They want to have total control uh, of Russia. Like how much control of Russia do they have or how sovereign is Russia, do you think? It's, I mean, that's such a deep and complicated question. And I think I don't have a good answer to that, but what I would urge people to consider is that 
you know, we're talking about the people who are pulling the strings here are basically sociopaths and they want as much power as possible for themselves. And I see a lot of, you know, the reality is that a lot of the conflicts that we see between Russia and the United States, either basically by proxy, like for example, in Syria or other parts of the world, these are basically fights over like oil pipelines, you know, I mean, not, not to, not to, to oversimplify it, but we're basically talking about whose oligarch gets to pump oil and where. That's really what it's about, like at, at, at a certain level. So what people have to understand is, yes, it's true. The United States has a horrible decades-long track record of disgusting imperialistic wars that have slaughtered millions of people just to make an easy buck. Um, but the question is, okay, we can accept that truth, but does that mean that a world that's guided by this alleged, you know, multipolar, allegedly sovereign sort of Russia, Chinese re-envisioning of the world? Is that really, is this a system that actually is going to support freedom of movement, for example, or just basic human rights? I personally think the answer to that question is no. And I think there's a lot of evidence that we're already seeing that the answer to that question is no. And I'm not, again, just to be very clear, I am not endorsing anything that the United States has done to the world in the last, you know, basically for most of its existence. But you have to be, you know, these two concepts, you can, you can admit, you can accept that and also realize that Russia is not really a bastion of human rights either. And I have a, actually, I have a really funny story about this little anecdote. I remember when I first moved to Russia, I had a friend, he worked, actually, he worked for Gazprom, the big Russian oil company. And, and I was talking about how, uh, talking about, about Iraq, because he actually works, he worked at the time in an oil field in Iraq. Uh, and he told me, Riley, what you don't understand is that it's not that Russia is opposed to the Iraq war, it's that we're jealous that we couldn't do the Iraq war. Like if we had that much power, we'd be invading everyone, just like everyone else. You know, maybe he was just being a little bit, you know, facetious and joking, but I think there's truth to that. I think that power corrupts and it's not a uniquely American thing. I mean, the world has gone through multiple empires. We've seen where the U S empire has led. It's very, it's a disgusting, pitiful sight, but power corrupts, you know? Yeah, and, and I would agree with you. Some of my guests who are really good in, in some stuff, they're touting this multipolar world, Eurasia, Belt and Road, and China is going to save us. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. think so. No. Yeah. It, it's just a new, it's just a new, you know, new boss, same, same game, you know? Yeah, how, how do they say that the, the, the new boss is yeah. the same, same as the old boss? And it's like, as you same say... I'm I'm a patriotic uh, American. I love the republic. I hate the empire, as my past guest jo Johan Galtung has has said. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to go run and you know the Russian or Chinese version is any better. They they, they both they all suck. We're just kind of screwed in that sense. And um, uh, what else was was I going to say? Um, I I just wanted to comment that as well, kind of along the same lines as as you. Ah, the thing you said about your friend who worked in the oil fields. I knew someone who works who worked uh, also in in the oil industry in in Russia who told me that it's all theater. That the, the you know the the Russians and the Americans are are doing all this business 
together like like you said the, the oligarchs the the oil the pipelines that behind like we see this conflict between the us and russia meanwhile behind the scenes they're all doing deals uh together and that's what that's what i got from a friend who worked in the russian oil industry who was not russian and just to comment on kazakhstan uh, you know i was living in kazakhstan and uh, another reason that i would urge people not not to go to, to to leave somewhere to go like Russia or, or Central Asia. And in this point in time, you know, I had a rural Canadian asking me about Russia. And, and I said, no, you're better off wh wh where you are. Because, for example, uh, when I was living in Kazakhstan, the Kazakh government ended up blocking my private email service. Uh, and then they blocked my VPN. And then, you know, just having a job or your visa status in Kazakhstan, it's like any day they could just remove it and you could be kicked out of of, of Kazakhstan, like whenever they want. So it's not your, your, your status wouldn't even be uh, assured, you know? So it, it's really difficult to try to try to make a move to go to certain countries like this, where, you know, you're investing all this time and resources and, and it's like, they could just end your visa in six months or a year. And then what are you gonna do? You have to go back home. Um, and maybe we could look at some of the stuff you've been writing about in your article, such as this Duma deputy who you're talking about, who said, if we don't stop QR codes, Russia is finished. So, you know, how's the battle on, on that front? And it really does. Other people have said the same thing, that this is the point of no return in any country. If we get this system installed, you be, everyone becomes a non-citizen who doesn't participate. I mean, w what's going on there? So there's been basically just to sort of set this set the stage on this whole thing. Uh, the bill for the national QR system was introduced, I believe, it must have been earlier this month. And the I think the original intention was basically just to shove it through the state Duma and get this thing passed. But there was what ended up happening is that, first of all, there's a very, very vibrant uh, like community on social, especially on Telegram and other social media platforms in Russia that are totally against the QR codes, totally against the vaccine mandates, very, very suspicious of, of you know, all the COVID narratives. And basically all these groups, these grassroots organizations and telegram channels just organized this massive, basically online protest where they flooded the social media accounts of all these Duma deputies and said, like, this is totally unacceptable. Like, this absolutely cannot happen. And Basically, the state Duma got cold feet and sent the bill back for review at the local level, at the regional level. So my understanding now is that the bill is going to be reviewed and it, it's supposed to come back up for reconsideration at the federal level, I believe, in, in mid-December, somewhere between December 14th and December 16th. So uh, as you mentioned, this guy, Mikhail uh, Delyagin, he put out this really incredible video appeal on his official channel, YouTube channel, basically saying, there's no one to defend you. There's no one to defend you as a Russian anymore. You have to defend yourself. You have to stop these QR codes because once they're in place, there's no going back. And he basically called it a coup d'etat that was taking place in Russia. And it's quite an extraordinary statement. Unfortunately, the translation that I have isn't that great and it's missing some parts but people should check it out and uh yeah you know it's just so surreal the whole thing is so weird it's so weird what's happening very 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 what i don't even know what the word is but uh 
it's clear that Russians understand the seriousness of the matter because there's still a huge amount of uh, activity on social media. People are still flooding. I'm blanking on his name. Maybe you know him. He's the chairman of the state of the state Duma. I don't know why Volodin, maybe. Anyway, he basically uh, just the other day, maybe yesterday, he published something on his Telegram channel just saying, like, what is do you have feedback on this QR code bill? And there is he opened it up to comments. Apparently, it's gotten like 300,000 comments in a day, something crazy like that. So people are really, really, really angry. And people should also understand that just because there aren't massive protests in Russia, like you see in many European countries, doesn't mean that people are just going to let this slide. I think that, you know, with Russia, again, the situation is quite unique because in a way, Russians don't need to protest because just they're just ignoring the rules already. But once the QR codes come into place, you can't ignore it anymore, right? So it, it changes the game. They can't ignore it anymore and they'll be forced to actually take action. And I really think that this is going to come to a head. I mean, once the bill comes up in mid-December, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that it'll pass. And then what happens? I mean, it's supposed to go into place in February. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a very, very interesting few weeks here in Russia, as it will be, I'm sure, all over the world. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to touch on that. And, you know, before we started the interview, you commented, like, what's going on? This is like a civilizational changing, shifting thing. And I've been saying, like, I've, I honestly really feel like we're living in the 1930s and, and 40s. And I've been saying this from day one, spring 2020, uh, right? So... And a lot of people were afraid to say it, to go that far. And I was like, from the beginning, no, this is like 1930s Nazi Germany. And finally, now people are starting to say it. And I'm getting emails, as I said, from people like, and just from all kinds of people, like just they're desperate. They want to flee Europe and come to Mexico and, and places like this. And it's, it's uh, insane. And how bad do you think COVID-1984 is, is going to get, you know? Uh, you know, will it lead to some type of Holodomor or, or Holocaust 2.0? And I don't use that lightly. I'm, I'm looking at this very seriously, like the way things are going, we're on this same trajectory. I don't know what's going to be on the other side, but we are going into a dark uh, period of, of totalitarianism. And, and as you said, Russians understand this so well. I've lived in the former Soviet Union. I've spoken to Russians who, older Russians who, when we talked about World War II, were brought to tears. They were crying. They said, we don't want uh, war because they know very well what happened in, in World War II. And, and it's crazy. Like, what, what are your thoughts? How bad this can get? I think it can get really bad. And I think that COVID is probably just one of many tricks that they have in their bag. You know, people have been talking a lot about the possibility of you know, climate lockdowns. And, you know, just the the thing too is to realize, I mean, obviously you, I'm sure you realize it, but the way that they're killing people off, I mean, to put it that bluntly, you know, we're talking about through uh, basically crashing the economies, making it impossible for people to feed themselves. And this is actually a huge problem in Russia. Russia does not have like a very strong social safety net. I mean, the pensions are not that great for retired people. I'm pretty, I read an article recently that basically at this point, like the retirement age in Russia is basically the age when you're expected to die. So it's not that great of a situation, especially for the elderly. 
And actually, this guy, Del Yagin, the human deputy that we mentioned earlier, has written some really interesting stuff about this phenomenon where uh, pensioners are dying off in hordes in Russia, and nobody really has a good explanation for it. And basically, I mean, my theory, and I think it's the simplest and most obvious one, is that the state is basically just letting them die. You know, they're they're mistreating them. And I, honestly, I hate to say it, I feel like they almost want them to die. You know, it's like this is part of the plan. It's to kill off the old people so you don't have to pay their pensions. You know, make this new generation of like gene-edited babies or whatever. I mean, of course, all this sounds insane, but it's really, it's basically a lot of it is already laid down on paper. Like it's official documentation and just everything is heading in this direction. I just don't know what else to say anymore. There's there's obviously a larger agenda here and it, I don't think it's going to work out very well for a lot of us. And I don't think you're wrong to think that, you know, there'll be some sort of Holocaust-like event where a lot of people won't survive and I, it could happen in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, and, and I think that Russia will definitely... See, I mean, if it happens in the world, I don't think Russia will be, you know, an exception. So, yeah, really, <laughs> I, you know, I, when I was a kid, I, I got into history and I became a history professor, teacher, and I loved history. And back then, I asked myself, you know, because I always try to put myself in the shoes uh, of people in, throughout history, going back centuries, thousands of years, and I'm like, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, to live through the Great Depression and, and World War One and two, and I'm like. Here we are. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, you, you don't want to ask those questions. There's some other interesting articles you, you, you've written, uh, such as Bill, the, having Bill Gates agents embedded within the Russian government. And again, this is nothing special to Russia. I, I see here, here in Mexico, like the governor of my freaking state here, uh, I can see that he's, work, he's getting money from the Rockefeller Foundation. And carrying out, I mean, as you said, it's all documented. I found the documents, and he's he's creating uh, our city as a uh, you know one of those resilient global Rockefeller smart cities. It's all documented, and you see they him use actually, the same language in Moscow, smart city. It's the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. so the they're thing. they're doing it globally. So they've we've got these like globalist whatever agents embedded within all of our national governments yeah. the, the, i mean that, that's the question i don't think we can answer you know how do they manage to do that that mechanism do they pay people off do they blackmail them do they brainwash them when they're young like with the world economic forums young uh what is it called young global leaders program or right. or, or whatever or like are they in some kind of like i don't know satanic masonic cult i i don't know but the point is that, that they're there and they're implementing these policies so i don't know if you had any comment on that or or this this woman who you talk about who is like a bill gates agent uh, in, embedded within russia yeah, so I think that this woman, her name is uh, Veronica Skortsova, is a really good example of, you know, because people have been talking about the Gates connection to the COVID stuff for basically almost since day one. But I don't think anyone has ever talked about the Gates connection to what's happening in Russia. And there clearly is one. And it's through this woman who served, she was the former health minister of Russia, and she currently serves as the head of Russia's federal biomedical agency. So what's so interesting about this woman is that she sits on this board created by in partnership with the WHO and the World Bank called the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board. So one of the all-stars, one of her colleagues on this board is none other than Anthony Fauci. <laughs> and also there's some, you know, Bill Gates uh, stooge. He's like, hold on, I think I have it somewhere. Anyway, he's like the president of, you know, the Bill Gates 
foundation for happiness and health or whatever, you know? And uh, this, I mean, obviously the who is Bill Gates is like one of the top, if not the top contributor to the who, and he's even directly given funds to this uh, board that Sportsova and Fauci are on. And I actually found out about this because um, RFK Jr., who just came out with that book, wrote, he mentions Veronica Sportsova in passing when he's talking about this board. And a friend of mine forwarded that to me. He's like, oh my gosh, look, like this is the smoking gun. And he was totally right. And the way that RFK Jr. describes this board is that it's basically this group of international technocrats who are charged with taking all of Bill Gates' disgusting visions for the world, you know, these uh, you know, lockdown policies and restricting movement of the population, et cetera, et cetera, and embedding it into national policy at the national level. And apparently one of their guys, their main guys who is on this board, just like a year or so before COVID, uh, you know, was talking about one of their reports that they released and basically summed it up as saying, there's going to be all these horrible new viruses in the future. And we're going to have to start restricting movement. It's going to be a new normal, you know, like using all the same language that we hear, you know, every day. It's incredible stuff. It's really incredible stuff. And uh, another really fascinating thing that people have to realize. So there's this very clear link between Gates and Russia's, you know, medical bureaucracy or whatever you want to call it. Another really, really bizarre thing about what's happening in Russia is that there's this meme this narrative that sputnik 5 is like this sort of amazing kremlin 4d chess move to stop big pharma from you know like genociding the whole world but what people have to realize is that sputnik 5's developers fully support pfizer and moderna and do joint research with them and have openly stated that they want to import pfizer to russia and create a joint sputnik pfizer cocktail and that According to literally one of the developers of Sputnik 5, this would only have benefits for Russia. So it really makes you think. You really have to just put aside the you know feel-good narratives and just accept that these guys are on the same team. This is no other explanation. You just have to face that reality. Like if I know so many people who every day get on social media and just yap constantly about how evil. The, you know, the Western clot shots are, which I fully agree with, but they will not say anything about Sputnik 5. And I just don't understand why. Like, it's so weird. Yeah, it's a hard pill to swallow. Run to the hills. You know, that's to get a farm, farmland, run to the hills. This is, you know, <laughs> um, it's not looking good uh, there. Um, and Kennedy, yeah, I have his book. I have his previous book signed by him uh, behind me. Pretty cool. And he, I got that book in the mail. Uh, I forget the title, The Real Anthony Fauci. It seems a lot of yeah. people are saying it's 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 really good. So, uh, yeah, I think people should get that. If, if anything, just to help but boost that message it's like number one currently and the media is blacking out on the fact that it's like number one on amazon and, and everywhere else um just a interesting thought what would you do if you know what would you or some of the people other russians protesting if the qr code gets implemented how do you survive i mean it's I, my, on this program, I've talked about building parallel structures, economies, and societies, and that's nothing new to Russia and the Soviet Union. That I mean, I guess they would go back to what they did in, in the Soviet times, building a parallel structure. You know, how would you, 
I guess the key is to try to get out of these systems as much as possible. Have you talked to anyone uh, about that? You know, if if you get this QR code system and you can't go get your driver's license or whatever with without it, what do you do? How do you <laughs> how do you manage life? I mean, it's funny you ask because I'm not even joking. I've had conversations with friends in Russia where we we've already made contingency plans if they shut down the internet and like communications. Like, okay, we're meeting here. This is like the this is the meetup point. I'm not going to say where it is, but we have a plan and. Basically, it's just to live off the grid, you know? It's basically just to live out. I mean, Russia's a big country. Of course, the problem is how far do you have to go? How far do you have to go to ensure that they'll leave you alone? I don't know. It's really, who, who can say? So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely on my mind. It's quite frightening. I, I mean, I'm not taking this this Russian clot shot, which is that that's what it is, by the way. And I'm not getting tagged. So that really limits my options. In some ways, it's liberating, really. I wouldn't even mind if they shut down the internet. Think about like how you just be like, oh, thank God, like no more idiots on Twitter. I could just like. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have that same feeling. We go back right? to in nature and, and enjoy God's creation. Um, yeah. And speaking of the internet and off grid, I, I haven't seen you write about it, but people have talked about this cyber pandemic and. Cobra Commander Klaus Schwab's, uh, you know, warning. They had that cyber polygon in, in, in July. And funnily enough, I, I forget his position. Is he the, the prime minister, Mishushtin? Uh, who's, yeah, prime minister. Who's like very, he, he attended and, you know, Russia's big spare bank was part of, you yeah. know, a lot Came of these. <laughs> like uh, yeah. So uh, any, any comment or thought on the cyber pandemic? If, if, if you look. Yeah, so I, I mean, okay, I think it's totally coming. I think that people need to prepare for that. I'm not, and I'm not trying to, you know, be a weirdo about it, but you should, people should start thinking about what they're going to do if they shut the internet off, because I think it's coming. And, you know, if you really think about it, I mean, people really are, I'm even noticing that people who are more or less on board with all this stuff, you know, back in March, 2020 are starting to accept like, okay, I think that like, the, you know, where's the, where's the proportionality you know like wasn't this supposed to be two weeks to flatten the curve and now we're you know like vaccinating babies with experimental gene shots that have been tested for less than a year and even even you know your your typical normie is going to eventually be like i think we took this a little too far guys i think it's time to reel it in and so and so i think they'll have to shut down the internet eventually to stop that because people are spreading information that's you know basically thought crimes at this point yeah, I'm also worried about you know our bank accounts getting wiped, and then yeah, we're kind of <laughs> screwed. Well, I guess well, I'll be eating grass and weeds off the side of the road. I mean, yeah, this, I I see this coming, and it, it's really hard. Like I'm way behind. It's really hard to prepare for this. It's like we're all in the same boat. It's it's tough, but we we bit by bit every day what we do, what we can. Um, is there any other issue you wanted to get off your chest, or you're thinking about on? the COVID uh, regime in, in Russia or, or, or otherwise? I just think, you know, first of all, I realize that I'm sure there are tons of countries where it's actually much, much worse than Russia right now. And so I don't, my message to people is not like, oh, like Russia is the worst country in the world. We're all going to die in Russia. Please save us. It's not like that at all. First of all, I think that Russians will be able to take care of themselves. So don't worry about us. But But secondly, it's more just like, we should realize that we're all in the same boat and don't go looking for saviors that don't exist. And by that, I mean the Russian government. Don't do that, guys. Whatever you do, don't do that. Like, don't be praying to the Kremlin every day that they're going to, you know, 
like arrest Jeffrey Epstein who didn't die and save the world from the pedophiles. Like it's not happening. Okay. This is not happening. This is just some weird, bizarre geopolitical, you know, WordPress, you know, fairy tales that people are passing around and it's just not happening. So get over it. <laughs> so yeah, that's my message. All right. Uh, I had, I guess, uh, a final question re related to one of my last questions related to media. Um, you know, I wonder what is it with this myopic reporting uh, on Russia? So uh, like you, you well, it seems you're either a 100% anti-Russian pro-Western clown writing for Washington Post and such garbage, or you're like a 100% pro-Russian uh, anti-Western alternative blogger, you know, who wears Putin pajamas uh, to bed. <laughs> like there's no middle ground. And uh, I think this is something that I try to do. And, and I see you doing, you know, when Russia does something good, you congratulate it. When it does something bad, you call it out the same for America or, or China. And, you know, there are some really good reporters for RT. Uh, lately, I've, I've, I've felt the quality of RT has been, has been going down. And, but, but, some of these like expat reporters for RT or, or other places, um, they're not really criticizing the bad things that Russia is is doing, like like you're pointing out. And so, you know, what are your thoughts on this okay. current, current media landscape? So, well, just to answer part of the question, the reason why you don't see any sort of honest reporting on Russia at RT is because it's not allowed. And I know that from personal experience, because this is quite an incredible story. Back in June, when Russia implemented its first compulsory vaccination uh, mandate in Moscow, just for 60% of certain business sectors had to basically jab their employees. And when this uh, announcement was made, I was totally horrified and working for RT and knowing that RT has been very, very vocal in its op-ed sections about, you know, the inhumanity and totalitarianism of vaccine mandates and QR codes and how, you know, it's this great injustice, which is all true, obviously. Obvious me just being a natural guy who likes to question more, like RT likes to do. I emailed my editor and was like, I want to write an op-ed about how stupid and awful and disgusting this vaccine mandate is. And I, I mean, it's an entire saga, but basically what ended up happening is that like, they just, they just wouldn't publish it, even though they knew I was right. You know, they just want to publish it. And they came up with all these stupid excuses. And I was grateful enough uh, off Guardian actually ended up publishing what should have been on RT. And it would have been a great article and it would have given RT so much credibility. And that's what they don't understand. I don't know whether it's just that RT's like top people are just not very bright or if it's an order directly from the top. It could be a little bit of both, but they didn't let me publish it. And so and also, you know, the reality is that you get a lot of tribalism. You get a lot of people who are quite open-minded and quite good critical thinkers and have a lot of interesting things to say, but they sort of take shelter in RT and then they feel a certain amount of obligation. And it's not because they're like in on some weird Kremlin conspiracy. It's just that they're genuinely grateful to have genuinely grateful to have a platform to speak their piece and they don't want to badmouth the Russians. And they'll say like, well, the Washington Post badmouths the Russians, so I don't have to do it. But it just doesn't quite work that way you know like it just what it does is that it just makes it just cheapens things because like the best the best commentary is when it comes from someone who you know will call out the bullshit no matter where it's coming from 
That's the kind of commentary that I like. And I'm guilty of it as any, I'm very, very guilty of this crime because when I first came, started writing about Russia, I was super, 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 super ultra hyper pro Kremlin and would never criticize anything they did. And, you know, this COVID stuff really was a wake up call. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that I'm better than anyone else. I'm just saying, guys, let's just have an honest conversation about what's really happening and it's affecting all of us, you know? So, and I think you pointed out something on your Substack of how, because we have Russia today in Russian for the domestic audience and then in English and other languages for the foreign audience. And Russia today for the English kind of does like what American or English speaking media should do for America, which, which they don't. Um, and they're very like anti-COVID regime uh, in English, the, the RT. But I, I think you pointed out and like they're against the mandates and all of that. But then in the, in the Russian domestic version, they're very pro-mandate. That's kind of yeah. weird. It's so cynical. It's such a cynical game because what they do is that you can clearly tell that the Russian government doesn't actually care about any of this stuff because they basically just recruit people to write about how horrible the West is. And then the RT in Russian is like super fascist. Everybody mask up, everyone locked down. And in a country like Russia, where nobody wears masks and just ignores the rules, I mean, it's mind blowing. And even worse, the editor in chief of RT, Margarita Samanyan, who is actually basically a public figure, she's not even just, you know, a journalist, uh, she goes on these crazy telegram rants where she's like, all the unvaccinated people are murdering all the children in Russia. They're all child murderers. You know, don't, you don't know me. If you're not vaccinated, you don't know me. Delete my phone number. She's like psychotic. This woman's a witch. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that, unfortunately, you know, whether it's intentional or not, I don't know what the motive is, but it's a very, very cynical game. And the message you're getting from RT is totally different from the message that Russians get from RT. And that's quite revealing. All right. Any final thought, last thought for us to leave us with? That's all. I mean, I, I wish everyone listening and watching wherever you are, guys, good luck. Things are getting really weird. I don't know. Come say hi to me on my sub stack. I usually like to chat with people in the comments. And I don't know, guys. <laughs> good luck. I don't, I don't think anyone knows. Bust out the vodka, the, <laughs> the tequila, or whatever you got. Um, yeah. so the, the, the website is uh, edwardslavsquat.substack.com. And you are also on uh, Twitter. Is there any other website or project? Or, or is that it for now? Uh, that's it. I would really also suggest you guys... Uh, visit antiempire.com. My friend Marco runs. It's a great website and he covers all aspects of COVID from all angles and also geopolitical stuff. And he's been a super supportive of my writing. He gave me a platform when I didn't have one. So really check, check out anti-empire. It's anti-empire.com. Check him out too. Yeah, I'll, I'll include them in the link. I, I like them as well. And I retweet and share their work and read their work. So, all right, everyone follow Riley on Twitter, Substack, Anti-Empire. His articles are truly and honestly, uh, not only groundbreaking, but hilarious. He is our man in Moscow. Spasiba, što bili na geopolitika i Talk to you soon, I hope, again. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast interview. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list through which you can receive an update of every new podcast, as well as a long list of key news headlines once a week. We're being heavily censored. 
YouTube has deleted some of our videos and we currently have one strike. Patreon has terminated our account. Facebook has restricted our page and Reddit has been the leading posts. Our favorite social media channels are Telegram and Twitter. The best places to watch the podcast beyond YouTube are on Odyssey, BitChute, and Brighteon. The best places to listen to the podcast are on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google, or on any other podcast app. To help keep this podcast alive, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever else. Subscribe to all our platforms and leave a donation if possible via Subscribestar, PayPal, Bitcoin, or Ethereum. You can also find us on MeWe, Minds, Gab, Float, VK, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.